Hey there, Tim Blankenship with A Day in the Life of an LDA, Divorce 661, Daily Perspective, Episode 28. Uh, quick announcement, uh, 13 days left to file. If you live in Los Angeles County, uh, we can still get your divorce finalized this year. People keep asking me how we're doing that, and that's because in L.A. County, it's all about the e-file system. This is how this would look. Today is November 16th. It is uh, Thursday. If we were to file your case today, 31 days later, we can finalize your divorce with the court, e-file that, and the court will approve that within two or three days. That's why they will put you under the wire before the end of the year. Your divorce will be final, approved, signed by the judge. Yes, the six months still applies, so your divorce will be final sometime in, what, May of next year, but your divorce is done as far as the paperwork, approval of the courts, and all that. There's nothing left to do. You'll turn become a person once the six months passes. Okay, got the announcement out of the way. Uh, what happened today? We had three consultations today out of Santa Clara and Los Angeles County. Uh, we filed two new cases today. So these people were in LA County. They will be able to have their divorce finalized before the end of the year. I'm sure they're looking forward to that. Uh, had two approvals uh, today. Two divorce cases were approved in LA County. Uh, both of them were e-filed yesterday and both came back approved today in less than 24 hours, which is amazing. Uh, judgment packages, worked on three judgment packages today and settlement agreements. Uh, it was Orange County, Riverside County, and LA County. So those clients are done just waiting for signatures and we can get those submitted. You know, it's interesting how much can happen in a day with uh, consultations with uh, clients I, on consultations, questions they have. Uh, things that I work on, judgment rejects, just drafting judgments, answering people's questions in regards to uh, their particular questions as it re relates to what they're allowed to put in their agreements and all that. So I have a lot of information to go over with you today based on the work that I did, the clients I spoke to. So let's get into it. And I have them numbered for you so they make sense. Let's get started. Number one, I said, I don't understand why some people are uncooperative when there's nothing to be gained. I have uh, clients that signed up yesterday. I shouldn't say clients. Usually it's clients. This time it was a spouse whose wife, um, get this, they've been separated for 35 years. Um, they were married in 1985, separated in 1988, and never got divorced. And that's not something to call out. It happens a lot. I think the oldest case I did was 42 years uh, they've been separated. They just never got around to the paperwork. Fortunately, uh, they knew where they were and were in communication with them. In this case, that's the case. I said, hey, you know what? In this case, it's a simple divorce. They had children in the marriage, but the kids are obviously well uh, into their adult years. So this would be technically qualify qualifying for a summary dissolution. Excuse me. Whereas it would be, it would appear as a, well, I shouldn't say appear as, it is a three-year marriage from 1985 to 1988. Remember, just because it's 2023, the time and duration, while you still are, yes, technically married in reality, when it comes to the divorce paperwork, you are, the length of your marriage is based on the date of marriage to the date of separation. So I told this gentleman, I said, hey, this can be an easy case uh, if you're, get a hold of your spouse see if they'll participate, cooperate. We can do a uh, summary dissolution, a couple of signatures. We file, um, it, the court signs off on it. Six months later, they're automatically divorced. Uh, no one gets served. It's a super simple process. So he reached out to her and 
Um, apparently, she's not going to participate. Doesn't mean she doesn't want to cooperate. I guess she just doesn't want to go through the process. So we had to file it as a standard divorce, a regular old petition, and she's not going to accept service for some reason. And so we were, fi you know, filed a uh, petition. We got the case e filed today. Got it filed. Gave him copies along with what needs to be served. And then I sent him to a website because either you can have anyone over the age of 18 serve your spouse or you need to get a process server. So I sent him the website link to the National Association of PPS, something process servers. So it, it's a national association. It's where people are registered on a website and they hold the, you know, the license or whatnot to do that process serving. That's what they do. It's NAPPS.org org if you need to get a process server. So I said, hey, here's the forms to need to be served. Um, if you, one of your adult children can't do it or don't want to do it, use them. Here's the documents to serve her, have her served, get me the proof of service. And then we'll wait the 30 days and file a default judgment. But all of that is unnecessary if a spouse would just say, yeah, I'll sign. I actually need the spouse to sign one document. And it could be e-signed because it's in uh, LA County. Technically, the divorce could have been done as of today, like approved uh, petition and automatic divorce approval six months, but she didn't want to go that route. So I don't understand that. Someone help me out and explain. Um, this, they don't want the divorce. I'm sure it's not a surprise after 38 years that the divorce was going to happen since you haven't lived together for the last 35. Number two, post-judgment name restoration. Okay been doing this 12 years, going on 12 years, and I things still happen that surprise me because there is just no um, similarities sometimes between the courts. So the other day I was talking to you about uh, how you can file a post-judgment former name restoration form. So if you didn't request to have your former name, your maiden name restored in the divorce judgment, you could do it later um, through this, this form post-judgment after the divorce is finalized. And we've never had a problem with that. We've done this forever. And so I filed one yesterday and it was rejected because it was, we were filing it for the respondent. The wife want now years later decided, you know what? You did my divorce a few years ago. I want to now restore my maiden name. We didn't request it in the original divorce. I said, no problem. Signed this form. I e-filed it, got rejected. The court is saying they now want to collect $435 for this form because the respondent never paid what's called their first appearance fee because we don't have our clients file a response. Now, once in a while, this will come up, um, not on this form, but just on like on stipulations, on quadros, on joinders, on on post judgment orders that we uh, or stipulations that we prepare that the client signed. Once in a while, we'll get a court say, "Oh, you need to pay the first appearance fee," and then the next time they won't. And we haven't had this come up in probably six months on different things, and this is the first time this came up as an issue. So I'm going to have to break the news that, hey, the court's now saying they want $435 to restore your maiden name, which had you done it in the divorce originally, you wouldn't be having to do this. And this is only because she's the respondent. Had she been the petitioner, her filing fees would have been paid. And this would have been like a $10 fee when I e-filed it and not an issue. So as I always say, and I've always said, even if you don't want to restore your maiden name, you don't think you'll ever do it, request it in the petition because you uh, you don't ever have to go out and do it. You would just have a judgment saying that the judge has ordered your name restored to you, but if you never take it to DMV, Social Security, and Passport Office, it will never be changed. So again, recommending that you do that. Number three, different ways to provide the settlement agreement. So today we had someone give me, so you know, I talk about the forms. 
I talk about the MSA style, the written narrative. And sometimes people will come to me with like a, an Excel spreadsheet. And I, I try not to use those. I should say I will use them if everything is there that I need that would re be required for a settlement agreement, but doesn't give the farm away as far as all the information regarding their assets and debts and values. As you know, I say when we do the settlement agreement, whether it's the forms or the narrative uh, MSA, is that we list the full name of the asset, last four digits of the account, and no values. And sometimes I'll get these Excel um, sheets uh, files that have way too much information. I would never want to uh, submit that because it gives away the whole farm. It tells everyone what your assets are, how much, full account numbers. Honestly, you might as well put your social security number on there and call it a day. But this one was fine. Uh, they had the, they basically take the, taken the template I gave them as far as what I needed, full names, last four digits of accounts, didn't put values unless it was warranted, like the amount of spouse support and so forth. And when people provide me their version of a settlement agreement, whether it's an Excel file or a uh, just a, a Word doc or whatnot, I'll try to utilize them as an attachment to the settlement agreement because they've already, this is a document that they've usually signed. In this case, they had their Excel file uh, notarized, which I hadn't seen that before, but that's fine. I found a way to be able to use that by attaching the property order to the judgment and then referencing the settlement agreement <clears throat> slash um, spreadsheet. And I think we're going to be fine because they had already went out and notarized that. And I don't, once someone has a notary, I don't want them to have to re-notarize something. <clears throat> so uh, number four, I think we're on. Yes. Number four. FL-160s and concerns about having filed those. So I'm always warning you about signing these FL-160s, and this is coming up from a, one of the consultations we had today where uh, I spoke to the husband. Wife had filed for divorce and, and filed the 160s. He was served, and he had already filed his response. And after watching all my videos, we had a consultation. He's going to use us to take over um, and finalize their divorce. His concern was, based on what I've said in the past, are the 160s the property declaration is going to cause a problem. And I said, no, with depending on what type of divorce process you're going through, the 160s can uh, create a variety of problems. But if you're amicable, the biggest issue that would need to be handled is that whatever asset or debt is listed on those 160s, that they be addressed in the judgment, meaning they be assigned to one spouse or the other. That's it. The biggest issue that people mistake, uh, mistake that people make, like I was talking about last week, is that they sell an item, they close a credit card, they sold a car, the house was sold. That's what I was talking about last week. And then they don't list it because it no longer exists. And then the judgment gets rejected because the 160s, the courts now know what assets and debts you have. And if they don't see on the judgment, they're going to reject it. So in this case, there was no issues because we're going to make sure that we address whatever's in the 160s that's on there. We'll include those. The other concern he had was the 160s didn't have all the assets and debts on it. Is that going to be a problem? It would be if it was a default without an agreement, but because a response was filed and it's an uncontested divorce case, um, meaning they're in agreement and they're going to sign a settlement agreement, uh, we can just add to the settlement agreement whatever was missing. It doesn't, we can add, we just can't take away from the property declaration. Number five, it is more important than ever now to make sure that your summons and petition are correct when you file because it is now the end of the game if they are incorrect. 
And I've talked about the, the fact that if your summons and petition are incorrect, that it will cause your judgment to be rejected. And I tell you how the, the summons and petition and all documents you file prior to your judgment do not get reviewed by the court until you turn in the judgment. When you turn in your judgment package, that's what triggers a full audit of your file. And I know there's people out there who don't believe me. They say, Tim, that's not true. Why do they file my form if the um, why do they file it if there's something wrong with it? They do. They don't care. It doesn't, no review happens to your divorce case until you turn in your judgment. That's the trigger. So what happened in this particular case is clients had started their own divorce before hiring me. Um, we turned in their final paperwork and what she provided me as far as her paperwork was not what she actually filed. She provided me documents that she had typed up. And then as a result, what it turned out to be is she had filed documents she had prepared by hand and did not put her address on the summons. So when I turned in the judgment, everything that she presented to me seemed accurate. So when we turned in the judgment, we got a reject and they said, oh, the summons doesn't have an address. I said, well, that's not the that's not a copy of the summons that the client provided me. So what she provided me and what was filed were two different things. Unfortunately, the the default had gotten entered, gotten entered. The default was entered. And now and this is new. The court is requiring that a motion, a hearing be set to set aside the default. All this time, last 11, 12 years I've been doing this, if the petitioner files a default, requesting our default, it's entered, and then there's an issue on the petition, for some reason we need to amend it, all we do is amend the summons and petition, and it automatically sets aside the default. And then we move forward, and then we file a new default when we go to do the judgment package. I know this is a lot. Hang on there. Hang in there. Now the court is saying no. So what happened is we filed an amended summons petition like we always do, and the court rejected it, saying you need to set a hearing to set aside the default before you can file your amended summons and petition. This is so crazy. I've never seen this happen. You know, I've worked for the courts in the past. <clears throat> Just goes to show you how it can be different between courthouses, counties, and even um, courtrooms within the same court. So um, it's just, we have to roll with the punches. Weird things happen all the time. And I have to call the client and say, hey, we need to file a set aside. What we're going to try and do, and here's the issue with the set aside. It's not a big deal. So you file for a hearing. Now they have to go attend a hearing, whether it's in person or over the phone. Still, it's a big pain in the butt. 45 to 60 days out is when they're going to have that hearing. So huge delay. Add, check this out. Two months to get the hearing. Then we file the amended petition. Then we have to wait another 30 days to submit the um, default judgment package again. <clears throat> that just had three months in time because they did not uh, do the petition and summons right. So please, I beg you, don't file your summons and petition if you're thinking, let me back up. If you're thinking of hiring me, let me start. Let me do this from scratch. Don't go out and do it yourself. It doesn't save you any money. Uh, it's the same cost regardless. And many times, like 90% of the time, I'm having to amend the summons and petition and correct it. So it's not, it's not, it's not making any faster you doing it your own. And you can, in this case, added three months to the divorce being able to be finalized. So make sure it's correct. And again, you're going to get it approved by the court. You're not going to know there's anything wrong with it until you turn in the judgment package. And if that default's already been filed, which it would have, if you're now turning in the judgment, now you have to go through this requesting a hearing. I'm going to try and submit a, a stipulation that the parties stipulate to set it aside and do it that way versus setting a hearing. And hopefully that'll get approved instead of them having to go <clears throat> to court. Excuse me. Number six. 
The terms of your agreement do not get included in the petition. They go in the settlement agreement. So one of the new clients today, I have a little worksheet to collect the information I need to start their initial paperwork, summons petition, case cover sheet, uh, the UCCJA, FL 105, et cetera. And she called me, said, Tim, I'm working on this initial worksheet. I want to submit this and get my divorce going. But it doesn't ask about who's keeping what or custody or how much spouse support or child support. Like there's no specifics in your worksheet. And I said, that's right. That's because in the petition, it's very boilerplate. It's names, addresses, date of marriage, date of separation, children's names, date of birth. Um, a basic idea of custody is going to be joint, sole, whatever. It's not a, you're not putting forth a parenting plan. You're not specifying how much child support and you're not putting in any amount of spouse support. Just do you want it? Yes or no. Or are you going to reserve it? joint legal, or is it going to be sold? I mean, it's very basic. All we're doing is getting a case number issued by filing this petition. That's it. So once we had that conversation, we got her started, we did her initial paperwork, and then I send out the settlement agreement worksheet, and that's where all the details come into play. In fact, when it's thought, you know, on the sum, on the petition, on the FL100, if you look at bottom of page one, two, um, is community property and separate property top of page three, or vice versa. We're not listing any assets and debts there who of wh who's keeping what. Right now, I'm currently putting um, parties intend to submit a full agreement on all issues. We don't You don't need to list your assets and debts in there. I don't recommend you do on amicable divorce cases. And again, I don't recommend you file the property declarations, FL-160s, with your petition if you're amicable. All righty, guys. I hope you enjoyed episode 28 of Day in the Life of an LDA, Divorce 661 Daily Perspective for this Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.